0: today we're kind of finishing up our our summer of guest teachers, and I am so incredibly um, honored and and thankful to be able to introduce today's guest speaker to you. Uh, A little bit less than a year ago, my phone rang, and uh, Pastor Joe, who is here leading the music, called me up and he said, hey, uh, my buddy Riley, who is also a worship leader, a worship pastor at Calvary Fellowship called me up, and he said that they wanted to get their pastoral team together and our pastoral team together and, and have lunch together. Uh, they offered to buy us lunch. I actually didn't know if you offered to buy us lunch, but you, you did pay, so thank you for that. That was nice. Um, and their pastors want to get together with our pastors and just pray over us, care for us, love us, because at the time, our church was going through a lot of um, turmoil, a lot of changes, and so they just wanted to care for us, and they reached out as brothers in Christ. And so we met together at the Diamond Knot restaurant just right around the corner, and we sat together for several hours, and uh, I got to know uh, Pastor Wayne Taylor at that lunch and we've uh, been in contact ever since. We get coffee somewhat regularly and check in on each other and he's been a source of tremendous uh, encouragement to me personally and to our our whole pastoral team here at Sound City Bible Church. And he's been a pastor for how long did you say? 38 years? That's 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 experienced. That's the word I wanted. That's the word I was looking for. Experienced. And uh, Men like myself uh, need other godly pastors with more experience to, to come alongside and help uh, share their wisdom. And so I'm really excited to share Pastor Wayne with you today. So Wayne, would you please come up? And then as he comes, would you please welcome Pastor Wayne Taylor from Calvary Fellowship?
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Um, actually, it's called geezerhood. It's, no, it's just being old. But um, it's really an honor, really an honor to be here with you guys today. And uh, you're blessed to have a, a great pastor, a wonderful man of God who's serving you here, and, and the whole staff. Um, awesome. All right. Today, I want to talk to you about my favorite subject. You know, when you... Uh, when you preach in your own church, like in Calvary's, we go through the Bible, um, verse by verse, book by book. So you're you're basically going to preach what the Lord has presented, right? And and you may not like the next passage as much, but but that's the thing. We need a balance, and I'm glad you guys um, here are also preaching the Word. That's 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 really. Awesome. But when you go visit, <clears throat> you can decide, you know, what you want to speak about. So I'm going to talk about my favorite subject, which might be yours as well. It's about the incredible love of God. The undefeatable love of God. The unstoppable love of God for us. That's what I want to talk about. Now, there's really nothing that compares to God's love. That God's love is the greatest wonder of the world. However, in the Bible, it does talk about marriage as, you know, similar. You know, it's meant to be like Christ's love. Marriage. And and I remember back, just barely, but when I was young and, and I wanted to get married, and I'd met this great gal, my wife Kathy now, but you know, things were going really good in the ministry, and things were just, you know, blessed and overflowing and, and all of that. And and I didn't want to mess it up. And I knew Kathy wouldn't mess it up, but I was thinking, marriage is hard. You know, and um I'll probably just, I don't know, Lord, why should I get married? Is, is this what you really want for me? I was kind of looking for, for his, you know, his decision in a sense. Why, why would you want me to get married? And I was kind of startled with what he told me. Um, it came to me really strongly as I was praying, Wayne, I want you to get married because you're not very loving. And I felt kind of offended by God. But at the same time, he began to explain, and I began to look at my life. And there was sort of a maybe a, a bit of a microscope there. And and he's saying, you know, you, you reach out to people, you speak to people, you you know, you're able to walk with people a bit, but as far as devoting your life and really sacrificing and 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 giving your whole self. You're not that good at that. And and I think when you get married, you're going to grow in love. You're going to learn how to sacrifice and dedicate your life to a person. And that's going to help you love everyone a lot more. And you know what? That is so true. I mean, marriage is not all hard and difficult and everything. There's so many blessings in it. But I tend to agree with what um, Abraham Lincoln said about it. He said, love is neither heaven nor hell. It's simply purgatory. (laughs) Now that's, I don't agree with all that. It's number one, I don't believe in purgatory. (laughs) But number two, when you think of that as sort of a purging, refining process, it really is that. Why? Because you have two lives. The two become one. And and in order for it to succeed in the way God wants it to, you have to have the love of God. You have to learn a deeper and greater and more sacrificial love. Marriage really helps with that. So does having kids. So it was a tremendous help. And we've been married, let's see, 36 years now. And, And it's really been transformative. For both of us. And speaking of kids, we have four children. And all of them now are married children. We have three sons. And uh, two are pastors. One is a pastor filmmaker um, slash musician. Um, And then we have one who's a nurse. We have one daughter. She's a nurse. So we have two pastors and two nurses. And, you know, it's been great. And they're all married. And so it's like we have eight kids. And now they've had four children. So we have four grandchildren. But in the next six weeks, we'll have two more. So that's six grandchildren in six years of our firstborn getting married and, and then the others following. So it's like in six years, six grandchildren. Woo! Man, it is so amazing. The love just absolutely, completely multiplies. Now, a lot of that is challenging, but you know what? The love of God is more than sufficient to meet the need. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about our daughter because, you know, when a dad has a daughter, and I only had one, my other son, my firstborn son, Jordan, he has two daughters and one daughter on the way. To me, that's like special people get that. You know, understanding men. You, I couldn't have done that. This is, anyway. So, but I had this daughter. She's, you know, she's daddy's daughter and the apple of my eye. Now, you know, as she's grown and and as she grew up, she's musical. She's athletic. She's this high-level athlete. She she was a professional basketball player in Europe. They won the national championship of their country. She was the most valuable player. Um, she played for the Oregon Ducks. She played for SPU for two years. Took them to the national championship twice. Um, so, you know she's she's has this kind of this this atmosphere that she's lived in, and the sports world and the music world. There's a lot of sin. You know, there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff. Not all good. And so she's, you know, had difficulties in her life that she's um, struggled with, stumbled in, all of that. But yet God has helped her. His love has kept her. You know, and, and parents, praying for your kids all the way through, man, it keeps you on your knees. It's, it's so great. Um, and, and she's come through well now. But, you know, there were some times, and, and as she was getting older, <clears throat> she was wanting to get married. She was telling me, you know, want to get married, want to have a family, all that. But it wasn't working out. So we also have a Bible college at our, um, at our church. And um, I teach in the Bible college. And I was teaching one semester the book of Revelation. So in this Revelation class, there's this one guy who really sticks out because he's a really great student, but he's also a hunk of man. <laughs> he's, he's like a big Samoan, you know, and she likes these big kind of dark guys. And, and he's athletic and, and, and just, you know, a diligent guy, but kind-hearted. And I'm thinking to myself, this would be a good guy for Amy. Yeah. You guys believe in arranged marriages? (laughs) Okay. I'm being a little bit facetious. But at the same time, I was like, this could work. Who knows? So I thought, hmm. So I say to Amy, Amy, um, I've got a guy in my class, and he's really interesting. He's a big Samoan guy, um, athletic, plays hockey, um, and... Just really, you know, handsome, good student, all that. Do you think maybe the three of us could go to a movie? <laughs> Who does that? I. So I, she goes, Dad, tell me a little bit more. <laughs> you know? So I did. And she goes, well, you know, yeah, I, I'd be willing. And, and so I called Dan up hey, Dan, um, yeah, hi, Pastor Wayne. You um, want to go to a movie? <laughs> I mean, that's just weird in itself. And, and he, he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great, Pastor Wayne. Um, and we decide on what movie and everything. And, and, and then I go, oh, yeah, and one more thing. Um, I was going to bring my daughter. And he goes, oh. Oh, uh, yeah, I could, yeah, that'd be fine. And so we go to this movie, and, and you know, I'm kind of hoping sparks will fly, but, um, but it didn't happen. But they were very friendly, and, and they made a, the beginnings of a friendship, you know. And so they were kind of staying in loose, kind of distant touch, which was fine. Um, he, he, went, he went to another church. And, but then, lo and behold, both of them just love hip-hop and rap. In fact, he, he writes beats for rap and is a rapper and a hip-hop artist. My daughter becomes a hip-hop rapper, a female, Christian female rapper. She has her own album now. It's amazing. We're selling them outside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's, they find this common thing. So he says, hey, you know, maybe we should get together and write some songs, you know? So I'm like, oh, and they start getting together, writing music, making music. And then they start making music. <laughs> they fall in love. So it becomes this thing that we had actually prayed about. They end up getting married. And um, and God used Dan to really help Amy. You know how the Bible says um, about wives and I'm not speaking on this today, but submit to your husbands as the head and all that. For Like Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Well, she's really kind of helped her in some cool areas, some awesome areas spiritually. And he, she's helped him supporting and, and, and helping him to be a man of God, you know, a real, bold, confident guy. So anyway... It's it's turned out really well. Most recently, um, they were wanting to have a child and, and trying to have children, and and really working on it for a couple of years, and it wasn't happening. So we put out prayer. We've been praying for like a year or more, and now just in the last couple months, they've conceived and the, and she's going to have a baby. So God answered that prayer, and the Lord. Here's the deal. So many things happen in your life, and a lot of them are good. A lot of them are hard, but I'll tell you this every one of them is the Lord wanting you to know that He's sufficient, and He wants to show you His love in that thing. Not saying how it's going to work out, but He wants to show you His grace and love in the midst of that. Okay. So marriage, it's a great thing, but nothing can compare to God's love. God's love is unlike anything else. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and he prayed for them, and he said, God, that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints, and that means he was praying for us too, May be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? You know, let's face it. We'll be reading through our Bibles. We'll be looking at things. And the promises and such. But then things come along. And and it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. You know that God. Causes all things to work together for good. I mean sometimes you're like. This. And there's just many things. So how can you know something. That surpasses knowledge. The word gnosko. To know something that surpasses knowledge, is knowledge by experience. To know by experience. In other words, God will begin to show you why you can trust him if you're willing to try to trust him. I don't mean salvation only. I mean daily trust through all the things that come. Knowing is love. So Paul says here, that God's love is not one-dimensional, not even two- or three-dimensional, but it's four infinite dimensions of his love. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of love. He prayed that we might know that. Now, let's think about that. How broad is God's love? How broad Is God's love for us. God so loved the world. That's how broad. He gave Jesus Christ for the world. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, it's so broad. He loves all your friends, all your neighbors. He loves your family, every single member. He loves even... Even ISIS guys. And sometimes they turn to him. Sometimes he saves them. Do you know that there are so many Muslims right now getting saved? I'll tell you one thing that he's doing that will blow your mind, but maybe you've heard this. He's giving many dreams to Muslims in the Middle East where they're not even allowed to preach the gospel, and they're dreaming of Jesus and what he's done for them. And they're turning to the Lord. It's, it's an incredible thing. Literally thousands are turning to the Lord. Iran, all those places. It's broad. He loves your neighbor. He loves those people that you're like, you do that? That's perverted. Hey, but you are a sinner and are a sinner too. He loves them. That's how broad but also, how long? It's infinitely long. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 31.3, Therefore, he drew you, he's drawn you with cords of loving kindness. You know, sometimes people say, How do I know that he loves me with an everlasting love? Has he drawn you? And that shows he loves you with an everlasting love. You know, in Psalm 136, 26 times, it says his loving kindness endures forever. It makes a statement and then says his loving kindness endures forever. Makes another statement. His loving kindness endures forever. 26 verses, 26 times. I think the psalmist was trying to make a point. Right? That's how long his love is. And how high is his love? His love is so high that it can lift you above anything, any sin, any circumstance, any challenge. Because while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. That's a really good vantage point. That's how high it gets. You can actually be in heavenly places. Last service, we were in heavenly places by the end of the service, worshiping God. Wait till you hear the songs they have after this service. They follow up perfectly with what we're saying. I pray that it moves your heart. But then how low the depths you know, God's love goes down to the depths of sin, the depths. You say, oh, I've done this. It's too bad. Jesus is reaching down to that deep level, that muck and that mire. And like we said, through his death and bloodshed, he forgives us and he lifts us out of that morass into a deep, a deep love relationship with God. You know, there's no depth of relationship greater than than God wants your relationship with him to be. He's not only our God, our Lord. He called Abraham his friend. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. There's a depth of love greater even than marriage or even children. It's just... So the infinite four dimensions. Paul prayed that the Ephesians and that us would understand his love. Because he told the Romans, he said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, our text, he said, for I, as for me, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray before we continue. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your incredible love. We wanna understand it. We wanna we wanna know by experience. This incredible thing that's so rich and so full and so deep that really only you can show us and persuade us. And we ask that you will. Each one right where they need it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul said, Paul said, I am persuaded that none of these things can separate us. From the love of God. Persuaded. He uses the Greek word pytho. Pytho is an interesting word. It means to be convinced beyond a shadow of doubt of something. And it literally means to be convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance. That's what that means. Paul said, that's that's where I've come. I, I'm persuaded. I'm convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance that none of these things can separate us from God's love. So what I'd like to do is just kind of review um, Paul's life a little bit and see how the Lord convinced him. Because you know, right, that he was not a believer in Jesus. Right up into adulthood, he had a great career going. You know, he was this Jewish rabbi. He's very high up in Judaism, in religion. You know, God's religion. And, and he believed in the Lord God of Israel and the Lord God of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. Right? He believed in the Lord God. But he didn't know him as a loving God. He didn't have a love relationship with him. He, he believed in him, respected him. He, he was devoted to him in his own way. But he saw no connection between that Lord God of the Jewish scriptures and Jesus. No connection at all. Jesus of Nazareth? To him, Jesus of Nazareth was this, you know, former carpenter that... Became a preacher and, you know, he managed to gather a huge following. He had a messianic complex and tried to convince people he was the Messiah. and, And now all these crazy people are going around trying to pervert Judaism. And it's just a mess. We've got to stomp this out. So he saw no connection between the Old Testament scriptures and the Lord God of creation and of Israel and Jesus. No connection until until he encountered Jesus. A funny thing happened on the way to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to apprehend Christians, to seek to imprison them, and even have them killed if possible. In a way, he was a little bit like ISIS or Al-Qaeda, really, but not obviously in a Muslim way, but based on what he thought the Old Testament said. But then this is what happened. Jesus Christ, in unapproachable light, flashed around him as he was riding his horse or on his chariot, whatever it was, he got knocked to the ground. This light just blinded him. And then a voice came, and Jesus grilled Saul of Tarsus like Jack Bauer would grill a bad guy. Just blah, blah. except he didn't shoot him in the leg. I really like that TV series. You know. I'm sorry. It's a weakness that I have. But Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just to para- parenthetically say something here for a moment. You know how people are persecuting Jesus' followers? And we're in a time now where it's, it's horrendous. In Muslim countries and other despotic nations. Even here in the US, there's more and more of an antichrist attitude. And the Bible said in the last days, you know, that would grow. And and so you see that and, and you're like, oh, you know. And you, you see some of these pictures, and I've never watched the actual follow-through of the pictures. I don't want to see them doing that but they're cutting people's heads off and all that. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. But you want to know what's really terrifying? What's really terrifying is what it's going to be like for those persecutors when they stand before Jesus if they don't repent. That's what will really be terrifying. Now, as far as those people... And what they're going through, of course, these are our brothers and sisters. We're praying for them. We love them. But I'm telling you, Jesus is with them. His grace is there. They wouldn't even have the strength to to stand for Jesus without denying him if he wasn't. His grace is so much there. And I take heart in that. I thank God for that. We're praying for Saeed. We know his wife and his children. And my daughter and son-in-law actually wrote a a rap song recently. And it's just got thousands and thousands of hits. And and Nagme is so encouraged. But then this, anyway, I could go off on that. I'm not going to do that. It's difficult. For Saul, like he said himself, he's, he's, what do you call it, Grinding against the goads, fighting against the goads, you know, this these pricks that they had on yokes, he's fighting against it and hurting himself. So he says to the voice, who are you, Lord? He's a quick learner. It's like, who is this? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Dead carpenter, preacher? No. He's alive. The Messiah. Whoa. Okay, now get up, Saul. Go into Damascus. I'll show you what to do. He sends him to a house. A guy named Ananias, right? One of God's choice servants, Jesus' servants. took Jesus and God a while here. Convince Ananias to take him in and pray for him. Ananias goes. The Lord says, "Hey, I'm going to send a guy over there. Watch your pray for him. I've been dealing with him. He's blind. You're going to have to pray." It's and and Ananias goes, "Oh, okay. Who is it? Uh, Saul of Tarsus." What? That, do you know who this is, Lord? Let me tell you about Saul of Tarsus in case you didn't know. God says. Just do what I say. Sends him over. Okay, so God apprehends. Jesus apprehends this guy. And from then on, he begins to show him his love. The first thing he does is he heals him. And these cataracts fell off his eyes because he had been blinded. And then Ananias prays for him, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, think of this. A guy that just moments earlier was breathing murders and threats. Now he's healed. And God fills him with the spirit and says, okay, you're going to be my servant. Wow. What a life change. It's amazing. And then the Lord begins to do miracles in his life and through his life. And helping others, even keeping him alive became difficult. God just did amazing things because the one who had been the persecutor, he's now the persecuted. And people wanted to kill him his whole life as he sought to obey the Lord. And then God began to reteach him the Hebrew scriptures. And on every page, he began to see the Messiah is coming. And all these prophecies, this is Jesus. Jesus Christ was prophesied. And he begins to understand the Old Testament now in a whole different light of God's love to send a Redeemer. And he becomes this strong believer in Jesus. He begins preaching about him. And then God, you know, he ends up in prison a bunch of times for his faith. And God uses him to write 13 books of the New Testament. Write God's very word that we're studying today. Here we are 2,000 years later, God used this guy to write his word. All of this and much, much more was used to convince Paul, by evidence, to a point of confident assurance, he really loves me. And to help us understand that he really loves you. Now, Paul told the Romans there's specific things that he did for him. Like facing death, terrible life circumstances. um, spiritual warfare um, highs, lows present, future you know persecution perils nakedness, hunger sword all these things he says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us so Romans 8 at the end is his testimony of all the stuff God did to show him how much he loved him do you know that when you become a believer, as you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything that comes into your life every day, bad or good, is all another opportunity where God's going to show you and persuade you that he's with you and that he loves you and he's going to use your life too. Not that you're going to be an apostle like Paul, but you have your own calling and your own will or God's own will for you. And all of it is to show his love because he has a plan for your life. And it's a good one. It's a great one. In fact, if you're doing anything other than his plan right now, you're cheating yourself. Friend, come on. Find out what it is. And everything he allows is meant to get you on that track, to show you his love. So let's just briefly look at these things. Death. He said, I am convinced that death Cannot separate us from God's love. Death itself. Now, if you study the life of Paul, if you look in Acts and all the stuff that he went through, and particularly 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians, he lists all the things that he went through towards the end of 2 Corinthians 11. There were at least 14 occasions where Paul could have died. I added him up one time, and there's about 14 to 20 where he could have died. It would be likely that it would end in death. But it didn't. Now, there was one occasion where it seems like he did die. And that's when he was in Lystra with a bunch of the guys, and they were preaching. And there was tremendous things going on, but the Jewish people in different ones were really angry about it, and so they started stoning Paul and it seems like they killed him because he fell down from being pelted by all these rocks. And he was lying there, not moving. You could say maybe he was clinically dead. Now, it's interesting if you look at the timing of what happened there and you look at when Paul wrote the letters that he wrote, Second Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about a time when he was caught up into what he calls the third heaven, which is heaven, you know, the God's throne and God's presence. He, he called it paradise. He was caught, caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible things that are so glorious and so amazing, amazing, it's not even lawful for him to tell us. So he couldn't write a book and, and become famous. God had a different way of him becoming famous, nor make money. He says, no, I can't write a book. It's just incredible. He was right there. The timing of that letter and Lystra is about the exact same time. He may have, like they say, clinically dead, and his soul and spirit was in the presence of God, God ministered to him, but he wasn't dead, dead, because if God's not through with you, you're not dead, dead, and so isn't it funny when people sometimes, they say, they say yeah, you know, he was, what do they call it, near death? Near death, like we died, and now I've come back. I'm going to write about it. It's, it's beautiful white light. You go into meadows. There's peace. It doesn't matter what you believe. Anything goes. Just it's all good. No, nope. because you're not dead dead. There's only one who died and was buried And his body was in the grave for three days. And then up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes, the victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. Jesus, you see, he spoke about what happens after death. Whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Go to be with the Lord. Go to heaven. If you don't believe... You're condemned already. And there's a lake of fire. That's what Jesus said. Do you know Jesus spoke of hell seven times more than he spoke about heaven? Because he's warning people. It's real. Because he loves people. And if you're here today, you don't know this God of love that we're speaking about. You can put your faith in Jesus. You can decide, I want want to trust my life to him. So death, Paul says, far from separating you from the love of God, it ushers you into a paradise of his love. So that's the first thing he put. He says, nor can life separate you. You know, sometimes life can be, it seems like, harder than even death. Because you go through sorrows, losses, rejection, illnesses, fears, challenges, Breakups. You face these things and it can be so hard. But Paul told the Philippians, he said, You know, there's a, a thing about a relationship with Christ called the fellowship of his sufferings. If you're willing to suffer with him and walk with him through the valley of the shadow, then this fellowship of his sufferings becomes the deepening of your relationship of love with Christ. That that a cozy life, an easy life, having no trials, could never deepen your love relationship like suffering can. Not that we want suffering, but that's just how it works as you go through it with Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis said. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers his love to us in our pleasures, but he shouts his love to you in your pains. He just wants you to know, don't think he's against you. He's for you. If God's for you, what could be against you? Even the pain and the suffering and all that, he's there to be near you. So life, Paul said. It only can deepen your fellowship if you'll trust him, if you'll learn to trust him. And it's not easy. I mean, I understand that myself. I'm 65, but I've found that in all those things, his love never stopped, even if I couldn't believe. Because though I'm faithless, he remains faithful. Hey, I'm getting really convinced, man. Yeah, 65. Maybe by the time I croak, I'll have it. But see, that's the thing. I like to say, everything in life is like a a quiz or a small midterm or late-term exam. Then there's the final exam. That's when you pass on. He's preparing all of us to be able to trust him for that so that each of us can go out gracefully. How many want to do that? I do, and boldly. And he's helping us do that. It will grow. By receiving his love through all these circumstances. Okay. So then he says, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. So three things there that probably have to do with fallen angels. Because good angels aren't going to try to separate you from his love. Because they're ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation who are believers, right? So they're helping us along. But... Fallen angels, on the other hand, whew. He's demonic, the devil. Ah. It can be scary, spiritual warfare coming in. And then principalities, the Greek word is arche, chief rulers or magistrates, again, maybe spiritual powers or political powers against God's people. It can be scary. And then just the word powers, the word powers there is probably, again, spiritual forces of wickedness. It's a terrible spiritual battle sometimes. You know, people, this is why prayer is so important. We're in spiritual warfare. You know, this world is not a playground. It's a battleground for believers. How many believe that? Yeah? Half of you don't. But it's true, and I'm just sharing these things because he wants to bless your life. He wants to use your life. He wants you to be not just, oh, whoa, what's happening here? No, he wants you through prayer to be someone who can overcome because nothing can stop his love from coming to you. So those things can't stop. Why? Because greater is he who is in us, 1 John 4, 4, than he who is in the world. fact that whole verse says this you little children have overcome them because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world so again those things can't do it and then what things present present circumstances you know things you're facing right now we've already talked about those things they can't separate you future circumstances okay things to come Man, we worry about things that might come. Don't we? You know, bad things might happen. Man, I'm telling you, don't do that. I'm telling you. I saw a guy do that once. Oh, disaster. And we're always worried about the future and, 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 and horrible things that could occur. You know, they did some studies about fears. It's interesting. Worry, fear, anxiety. I mean, it's getting... Because of our world today and the the fear-mongering on the news and just all the stuff that's happening, you're tempted to have panic attacks, anxieties. I want to encourage you. I want to comfort you with a few things. Cast all your cares on him. His perfect love dispels all fears. For the one who fears is not perfected in love. Because fear has torment. And he's not seeking to torment us. But if we receive his love, we can cast out and get rid of that fear. Sweet. But this is what they found in these surveys and polls. They studied fears and anxieties. They found out that 92% of all our fears never happen. If you were to take all your fears, 92% are not going to happen. Now, a really fearful person would say, yeah, but Wayne, 8% are going to (laughs) happen. So don't, don't give me that. Yeah, but you know what? The Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the strength, the strength of your life. Of whom then shall you be afraid? Psalm 27. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. My rod and my staff comfort you. I will fear no evil, he said. All of these things are to show you more of his love and more of his presence. Highs, lows. You know, sometimes we get really high and, oh, we're on top of the world. Nothing will ever, ever, you know, hurt my faith until a bad thing comes. Sometimes we're setting ourselves up for a real stumble. Keep your eyes on him who loves you most. Nor lows, high, height, nor depth can't separate you? What if there's a stock market crash? you would be okay. Is the Lord going to help you? What if you lose that job? What if someone dies? These are all very real things. But you know what? We don't have to live in fear and anxiety and worry, because we have a God who's going to take us right up to the throne all the way through. His love. Nothing can separate us. Think of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, in 606 BC, them and Daniel were hijacked away from their homeland and taken by Nebuchadnezzar's army all the way to Babylon. Taken away from all their securities, their family, taken away from all that they knew and the things that, that, that grounded their life. And now here they are in a foreign land. But there was one thing that wasn't taken. Their relationship with God. And they decided, we're going to stay true to the Lord. So the Lord, through that, used it to actually raise them up to high prominence within the Babylonian kingdom. Isn't that weird? Daniel ended up becoming prime minister. Whoa! And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in a high place too. But then Nebuchadnezzar, who's an egomaniac, said, you know what? We're going to change the worship from Bell to this golden statue that looks a lot like me. So they set it up on the plain of Shinar, I believe it was, 90 feet high, gold. And it was going to be a huge party. The whole empire was going to start worshiping this, this statue of probably Nebuchadnezzar. And they brought up the greatest bands from Babylon, and, and it was just a super cool time. And, 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 and so everyone was like ready for it. There was going to be the unveiling. The band started playing. Nah, 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 nah. It was just people were like, oh, you know, in a mood, mood-altering state. And everyone says, bow down. Everyone bows down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they love the Lord. They believe in the Lord. And they're over there like, I'm not bowing down, are you? Uh, no, Shadrach, I'm not bowing down. How about you, Abednego? No, nope, not bowing down. Meshach? Mm-mm, not me. I hope no one notices, though. You know, But they did because you do stick out. That's why sometimes there is resistance and even persecution because of the reality of the God you believe in and love. But he's with you. So Nebuchadnezzar brings him in. He's all angry and he says, hey, you didn't bow down, man. What's going on with you? I'm going to give you one more chance. And We're going to to play some even better music this time. When the music plays, you bow. Or, if that doesn't convince you, furnace of blazing fire, you're going to die. Okay? But they didn't. They wouldn't bow. So they said to the king, king, we get your point, point. and we respect you. You are king of the world. God's allowed that, although he's going to get you down in a few, you know, couple chapters, but we believe our God is sufficient. He'll take us through, but even if he doesn't, you see, he's so real and so true, and his love is so great. Nothing's going to make us be disloyal to him. Are you at that point in your confidence? God wants you to be. You know who the true God is. He's been good to you. He's got you. That's how his love is. That's why the Bible says, Paul, in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than, what's a more than a conqueror? We know a conqueror is someone who has victory when they win. They're conquerors. They've won. They have victory. But you know what a more than conqueror is? A more than conqueror is someone has victory whether they win or lose. As far as daily circumstances. A person who has victory because Christ has won. He's won the ultimate victory already. He already crushed the devil's authority. When he rose again from the grave. Right? And he's with us. So Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fiery furnace that's been heated seven times greater. And the guys that threw threw them in from the periphery, the fire lapped them up and they were killed. They were thrown in bound. But then Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and he goes, yikes, they're not bound anymore. They're walking around like a sauna. Just enjoying it. And who's that other guy? There's a fourth one in that Nebuchadnezzar says he looks like the son of God. People, that's it. He may not deliver you from everything, but he's going to walk with you in everything. He's going to be with you and ultimately bring you through. Not, there wasn't even smoke or singed eyebrows on these guys, it says there. Now, why is this so important? As we close, why is it so important that you be convinced of the love of God? Because we're not going to be able to be loving unless we receive love. Do you understand that? That only those people that know that they're loved can give love. That unloved people Do not have the means to be loving people? See, one of the most critical needs of your soul and of my soul to be filled spiritually and emotionally whole is to receive God's love and let him, through his love and his presence, transform our lives. If you don't receive his love, you will be emotionally stunted and spiritually starved. I like how Thomas Manton, a great Puritan writer, said, he said, love is like an echo. It returns what it receives. Now, all of us, all day long, we're thinking about stuff. There's voices in our mind of things that people have said or we've thought or we've picked up somewhere along the way. Now, we know an echo It's just reverberating something that's been yelled out or spoken or a noise, right? And if there's an empty canyon or cave or gym, that noise is going to reverberate. And it's going to be the same as the sound that was given. What is your mind? What is going around? What's echoing in your mind all day long? What thoughts are bouncing around your brain? Is it fears? Is that what drives your life? You know who you are. I tend to be a fearful person. A lot of times that's what motivates my life, and a lot of times it's completely off. Or anger. You know, I play basketball with young guys. And a lot of the young basketball players who are good, and some of the guys I play with are they, they come from broken homes and, and the fathers weren't around. They didn't really have a lot of love. They don't know Christ. You know, on the court, they're, they're a bear to play with because they have to win every game or they hate your guts. They complain about every call because to them, their security is based on winning. Their security is, oh, if everything's going right. Their security is, oh, if everything's just working out, then I'm great. You know, you know, if things don't work out and you lose it, I'm hitting right on that nerve. The love, that's what you need to know. You're in his hands. I have opportunity, have had some opportunity to share with these guys. It's been great. It's a long process, though, just to get through. Is it the love of God that's filling your mind? Is it his voice saying, greater love has no one than this, than I who laid down my life for you? You know, if that's the case, your life all day long is going to reverberate and resound his love. And the fruit of the Spirit is going to touch many people's lives. That's why it's so important. For you as well as those around you. And especially your loved ones. You don't have to be angry all the time. You don't have to be fearful all the time. You don't have to be stressed out all the time. Why? The cure is the undefeatable love of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing wonder of the world. That you would set your affection on losers like us, but you've changed and you've made us worthy because of what you did, not because we've done anything, not because we've made ourselves so desirable. No, it's what you've done for us and you are, through your love, transforming us. And we give you utmost praise and we will remain loyal to you because of the incredible love that you have for us. If you're here and you need to receive that love and let Jesus be so dear and so rich towards you, I encourage you as we sing these songs that you would drink it in and the impact would be felt.
2: Thank you, Pastor Wayne. Uh, My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to lead us into uh, just a time of response um, as we think about that incredible, powerful, uh, undefeatable love that God has for us. Um, We're going to start with a time of giving. And so if the financial stewards would come forward and uh, pass the buckets. Uh, In our time of giving, it's an opportunity for us to respond by acknowledging that that God is Lord over everything in our life, even our resources, and that he has blessed us with these resources. And we want to give back to him as a a sign of his lordship. And so if you're a guest with us, please know that you don't need to give anything. We're just glad to have you here. Uh, You're welcome to if you would like to, but uh, this is really an active, responsive worship for those people that call this church home. Um, While they're passing the buckets, we're going to have some discussion questions. Would encourage you to take note of these and uh, work through these on your own. Or if you're part of a community group, uh, it's a great time to get together and to talk through these questions and to process through the sermon and what we've learned together today. So question number one, what in the sermon confused, convicted, or encouraged you? Uh, For number two, in verse 37, what what does all these things refer to? Number three, what's the difference between being a conqueror and being more than a conqueror? And why does that distinction matter? How does it make a difference in your life practically? Number four, what do you struggle with believing can separate you from the love of God? Number five, are there specific circumstances or situations that make the struggle more difficult? Number six, uh, when are the times that you feel the most distant from God's love? And number seven, in verse 39, how do we know the love of God and how have we received it? And how do we know that we will not be separated from God's love? Um, If you didn't have time to write all of those down, we do post it uh, online uh, at the end of the day with the sermon. Um, And so you can go to soundcitybiblechurch.com and and see all of the notes there uh, and those questions for reference. So next we're also gonna have a time of uh, communion. And so when we separate, when we celebrate communion, it's a time for us to remember God's great and incredible love that we saw witness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we take communion, it's a reminder that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us in our place, taking the full wrath of God upon himself for the sin and our sin that deserved God's wrath, but taking it upon himself so that we could be forgiven. Now, for those of you that aren't Christian, we would ask that you not partake. This is something we do in remembrance of God's love, but the invitation is for you to actually accept Jesus as your Lord, to let today be the day where you acknowledge his uh, undefeatable love for us, his incredible love over us, and for you to... Praise him as Lord and Savior and to accept his death on your behalf and to become a Christian and then to take communion as your first act of response uh, of worship to him for saving you. And so we invite you, if you're not Christian, to become a Christian today and to join us and have communion with us. Uh, And then after communion and as we take communion, the band will be playing uh, some songs for us to sing and worship. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand now. Um, I'll pray, and then as you're ready, you can come forward and take communion. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us with such an incredible love, with such an um, overwhelming love and an undefeatable love. We thank you, Lord, for the way you've displayed that through uh, sending your son to die on the cross on our behalf, to uh, be buried and to raise again, conquering death, so that we could have an opportunity to be restored into right relationship with you. We uh, worship you and we praise you for that, Lord. And uh, so we just surrender this time to you as a time of worship, acknowledging you as our Lord and praising your name. Amen.